You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. So good morning, everyone. I'm excited about this new podcast, this new broadcast called The God of Desire. I think I'm really going to rattle some religious bones in this series. So I'm very excited. I got my uh, camouflage on today because I'm coming in stealth to set you guys free. So let's pray and let's get started. All right. Well, Father, I thank you for this series. Thank you that you are the God of desire, that desire was your idea, that you are a God that sits on your throne with us at your right hand in Christ, which is the exact place where there are pleasures forevermore. You said in your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore which means that you are the God of pleasure, Father. You are the God of desire. Thank you that Satan has does does no longer have that title, that you uh, created all things through you for your pleasure. And that means us. That means the created universe, Lord, that it is good, that you've redeemed it. And you are serious about us living joyful, desire-fulfilled lives. And so today, Father, as we dive off into this podcast. I just thank you that we are coming with an open heart, with an open mind, ready to receive some gospel goodness and ready to have our eyes enlightened so that we can see the hope of our calling, the hope of the full redemption that Jesus Christ has accomplished for the cosmos. And so, Father, just lead us where we need to go by the power of your spirit. Uh, think through my mind, speak through my mouth, and just just astound us with your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, awesome, you guys. I'm really excited to be kicking off this new uh, podcast series today and tackling really another side of the coin of religion. We're going to be talking about some theology. We're going to be talking about the gospel, of course. We're going to be talking about happiness and joy and the fruit of the spirit and all kinds of other facets of this word desire and this uh, hijacked word, honestly, that has been uh, hijacked really from our Christian experience in so many different ways. And I want to hopefully reconnect you to the passion of God, to the desire of God and reconnect you honestly to the desires of your own heart so that you can begin to trust your heart because it's been recreated. You have a new heart, a new spirit, and really just get you into the business of enjoying the new creation, enjoying your life and stop beating yourself up. Stop thinking that God is a stuffy, you know, old man in heaven that is trying to, you know, be a, a, you know, a party killer. Instead, I want you to join the party of heaven. I want you to step into the fullness of what it means to have God's desire and to understand what that is and what that looks like through our union with Jesus. So let's jump off today with just this, this, the concept of this word desire and talk about a little bit about that God is the God of desire. You know, most people I think are disconnected from this attribute of God. And most people I think, um, because we've been so steeped in religion, uh, have thought of, you know, a godly life as a somber life, as a, uh, a, a life that when we submit to God, that it's, there's, there's just, it's just a bunch of, just all sacrifice. It's all suffering. 
And that is not the way God is designed heaven to work. That is not the way the kingdom of heaven works. And let's jump off today really in the beginning and let's look at uh, what the Garden of Eden was. You know, the Garden of Eden, when God created the garden and placed Adam and Eve in it, remember, he had gone through six days of creation and had rested on the seventh day. And after every single day in creation, he kept declaring that it was good. And so I just want to take for take a moment here to just think about the creation. I mean, I don't know if anybody here is a scuba diver. I don't know if you've ever gone snorkeling, but for me, you know, I was certified earlier in my life. I used to do scuba diving trips in my twenties and so forth. And, you know, it was like visiting an alien planet when I would go underwater and look at the coral and look at all of the sea creatures and little seahorses and all of these things that God made that look like aliens really and recognize that God created things that are odd, that are strange, that are really with that defy our description. You know, I mean, why a seahorse? Why, why, you know, little, what are those little things? Those little, um, we used to see them all the time in, in Colorado. They're little um, chipmunks, right? Just the cutest little things. I mean, why are kittens so cute? Why are puppies so cute? Why are things so glorious and so beautiful for God's pleasure? I mean, God created everything that we see for pleasure, to bring delight. And in fact, the garden itself, the word Eden means pleasure. It means the place of delight. And so delight and pleasure are a motivator for God. They were the motivation for creation and they are the motivation of his heart. The heart is known, you guys, as a, a pleasure, a pleasure center, right? It's the desire center of our lives. And God made us that way. God made us to have desires and frankly, to be motivated by the same thing that he is motivated by, which is desire. God so loved the world that he came, that he became a human. He put on flesh because he loved his creation. He loved everything that he created and he did not, he did, he wanted to uh, reconcile everything that had been separated from him through the alienation of the human mind at the redemption. And so God redeemed the cosmos. God reconciled, God was in Christ, reconciling the cosmos to himself and his motivation was love. It was desire, it was passion, it was pleasure. In fact, the, the whole, uh, you know, some of you guys have watched that movie, The Passion, right? Which is about the crucifixion of Christ. I mean, it's called his passion. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't suffer. I'm not saying that he didn't suffer all of the consequences of sin, but realize that his motivation has always been and will always be pleasure and desire. Jesus said for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. His motivation was joy. He was looking, he had a desire to redeem his creation. He had a desire to be intimate with us, a desire to live in union with us and reconcile us, reconcile everything that separated us in our, in our alienated, blinded minds. He wanted to bring us back into that place of Eden. He wanted to bring us back into the place of experiencing heaven, of experiencing him, of experiencing all of the fruit of the spirit and joy. 
But this word desire has been hijacked and it's been hijacked really since the very beginning of the church. In fact, you know, most of us think about religion. When we think about the word religion, we think about religion being uh, referring to a legalistic way of living, a, a legalistic way of relating to God. In other words, we think about it in, in the sense of following a bunch of rules and having a relationship with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, and having, you know, self-judgment, right? Judging what is good, judging what is evil and living in context of rules, right? And performance and self-righteousness. And we think, and you know, gosh, goodness knows, I teach on this almost every single podcast. I mean, this was the crux of the message really for the Apostle Paul. But religion has another side of the coin, and it's not legalism. It's something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a word that a lot of us may not be familiar with, but it is the belief that um, the natural world is evil, that the um, material realm is uh, evil, okay? And it's it, it, it spawns itself off in a, a, a life of where the human body is evil, where we have these two natures that are evil and that the things that are of the spirit are good and the things that are of the natural are bad. And honestly, it's just another uh, flip side of the coin of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and good and good and evil. And it's a misunderstanding of what happened on the cross and that God himself is the is the is Mr. Pleasure. He is the he is the origin of pleasure. I mean, he is the origin of of the human body and our emotions and our ability to sense pleasure. You know, of course we have pain too, but pain just gives us the opposite of pleasure. And the, the goal for heaven, the goal of God, he is the God of pleasure. Now I know that because we have been taught that the world is evil and we have, we've been taught that, that Satan himself is the God of pleasure. But, but Satan just corrupts. He doesn't create anything. He doesn't own anything. He simply distorts and corrupts. And so if there, if there is a corrupted version of pleasure and a corrupted version of desire, well, guess what? There is an authentic version of pleasure and an authentic version of desire. And what I want to be coming after in this series <clears throat> really is this concept, this religious concept called Gnosticism. And this is the very nature of the Antichrist. Because see, Gnosticism, Gnosticism is based on the idea in the early church. It, 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 people took it as far to believe that the body was so evil that Jesus didn't have one, that he did not come in the flesh, that he was a, you know, a spirit being is kind of the, the crux of what, what that, uh, that doctrine that was infiltrating the church was all about. And I know that we think about the Antichrist as kind of like this end times Damian figure that's going to come back and rule the world because we've had a wrong interpretation of the gospel. We've had a wrong interpretation of Revelation, the book of Revelation. And this is that's beyond the scope of this podcast. But I do want to talk about what is the actual Antichrist. And so let's go because it, it's important because it relates to this idea that uh that Jesus did not come in the flesh, okay? Because Gnosticism is really against the body, right? And it is a direct belief that 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 God did not come actually in the flesh. 
And so the Gnosticism is anti-Christ. Gnosticism is anti-anointing. It's anti-gospel. And because it rejects the, the incarnation, and the incarnation is the central theme of the gospel. God took on flesh. The word became flesh. And when we don't understand what the incarnation actually is, that it will throw us back into a, a, a version of legalism, a version of Gnosticism. So the Apostle John in his gospel is talking about and in his letters is talking about the fact that Jesus became human, that he actually became the Greek word sarx, which means flesh. Okay. Now, in Gnosticism, spiritual growth is all about <clears throat> escaping the material realm. It's all about escaping this lower nature. It's about escaping your humanity. It's about escaping the body. And so I want to just read, I'm looking it up really quick, the um, scripture in 1 John, and then we'll talk about a scripture in 2 John here. And I'm reading out of the, the ESV version. And here's what it says. It says, by this, this is 1 John 4, 2 through 3. 1 John 4, 2 through 3. It says, by this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Well, let's link that to another scripture that uh, the Apostle John wrote in 2 John 1, 7. And here's what it says. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, in, in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Okay, I'm going to read that again because this is, I want to go here right off the bat because if we are going to embrace the God of desire, then we need to understand that desire and the things that are material have been redeemed. They are not evil. And when the, the root of this belief is in this idea of Gnosticism, it's in this idea that Jesus did not have a body. And there's, an, there's a misunderstanding of the importance of the human body and the importance of the value that God places on his creation. And so here's what it says. It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such is such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So the, the root of this, you know, idea that the flesh is evil, that the material realm is fallen and evil is a Gnostic principle. And if we are going to truly exemplify <clears throat> the... <clears throat> Excuse me, let me get a drink. <clears throat> if we are truly going to exemplify the goodness of God, then we have to redeem this concept of desire. And we have to get connected to the delight of God. And when we delight in God, you guys, guess what? He gives us the desires of our heart. Delighting in God and desire are in extri they're, they're, they're interwoven. They are linked together and heaven and earth have been linked together. See, the gospel declares not just the annihilation of the separation between us and God. 
it, it announces the annihilation between everything and all of creation and God. God has redeemed the cosmos. If you really want to be blown away, go read first Colossians. I mean, I'm sorry, just go read Colossians, the first chapter, because it talks about the extent of what Jesus has redeemed. So let's go over there right now and let me read it in the, um, uh, let me see, let me read it in the Passion Translation. I'm going to go over to Colossians chapter one, and I just want to read a little bit of this, okay? I read this, I feel like, quite a bit in uh, these podcasts, but I want to read it again. So this is going to start in uh, Colossians one, verse 15. It, the subtitle of this section of scripture is called The Supremacy of Christ. In verse 15, it says, he is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. Verse 16, it says, for in him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it all exists through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made and now everything finds its completion in him. He is the head of his body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir of resurrection, he is in the most exalted place, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all of his fullness dwelling in Christ. Verse 20, and by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Okay, I'm gonna read verse 20 again. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Okay, these, and then in verse 21, it says, even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. So what I wanna say here is that God's perspective of us, God's perspective of you, God's perspective of the world, God's perspective of the cosmos, of the universe, of creation, is a perspective of innocence. We are not just proclaimed innocent through the cross, but the entire cosmos, the entire creation was redeemed, and it was brought back to the place of original innocence, pre-Adam. Now, I get that we don't recognize that in our world. In fact, we've been taught that the world is evil. We've been taught to be not conformed to the patterns of this world, which is scriptural. But what that means is that the fallen pattern of this world, to not be conformed to the idea that the gospel didn't happen, that we are just mere human beings, that heaven is not here. We are absolutely here in this material realm, and it is once again good because of the work that Jesus accomplished. This is a completely different world view. 
This is not the view of the fallen world, which is a religious view that says that, that we people are evil, that says that the world is evil, instead of recognizing the extent of what Jesus accomplished. And we have to talk about these things. I have to talk about this. And I get that this is a, a you know, a theological mind warp for a lot of people because we have sat under this idea, this Gnostic idea our entire lives. And we, what it has done, it is, it's created a division in our own being, in our own heart. It's put a splinter in our mind where we have this internal relationship with right and wrong and good and evil. And we believe that we are dual natured, where we have a sin nature and we have the nature of God. We have like a devil sitting on one shoulder and God sitting on the other shoulder. We've made this entire way of being a divided being because we haven't recognized what's been reconciled and all of it has been reconciled. And that's why creation, why the universe is moaning and groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. It is moaning and groaning for us to wake up to what Jesus has accomplished so that creation can fulfill its purpose, which has always been to reflect the glory of God. Right. I want to read another scripture to you guys that I think is just a powerful scripture that talks about just God, that God is the God of pleasure. Okay. I want to um, speak to this right here. Um, let's start in, it's in Psalm 36 and let's read um, just about a few of these things. It says, um, starting in verse one, it says transgression speaks like an oracle to the wicked deep within their heart. There is no fear, dread of God before his eyes, for he flatters and deceives himself in his own eyes. So I want to stop here for a moment because this idea that we have been alienated from God in our minds is really what happened at the fall, right? We have, we have been deceived into thinking that we are separate from God and that our sinfulness is, 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 what separates us from God? Now, I want to I want to just keep going in verse five. It says here, your loving kindness and graciousness, O Lord, extend to the skies. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. So this is um, this is David talking about you know, how creation is a picture of God, that when you look at the sky, when you look at the clouds, that that's a picture of his loving kindness, the, the expanse, the, the extent of his loving kindness and graciousness. It's his clouds are like the faithfulness. You know what? They bring the rain. They bring the seasons and they're faithful. It's faithful. And then the, the, the mountains declare the righteousness of God and the deep, the deep of the sea are like, are like his judgments. They are, they are so deep and, and profound, right? It says in verse seven, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. The children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Verse eight, they drink their fill in the abundance of your house. You allow them to drink from your river of delights. Verse nine, for with you is the fountain of life, the fountain of life giving water. In your light, we see light. 
You owe continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. So let me just stop here for a moment. And this, this, because really what I want to pull out of this Psalm is that even David had a revelation of the desire and the delight of God. In fact, God, I mean, David is known for delighting himself in the Lord and dancing his pants off, right? Partying his pants off. And he was a God, he was a man after God's own heart. He was after the desire of God. He wanted to know the emotions of God. And so what I want to, what I'm really trying to say here is that this separation from our bodies, the separation that happens in our own hearts and in ourselves, the separation from God's creation is why the world is in such a mess today. Because we have judged it evil. We have judged it. We haven't even taken back on our mandate that, that God originally gave Adam to take dominion over this world, but not to dominate it through abuse, not to dominate it through uh, control that is a uh, selfish motivator, you know, a, a motivated control that is by our own selfish desires apart from Christ, but no, to rule and reign with the heart of God in harmony and peace with God. And so desire is a, is a godly attribute and our bodies are holy. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God loves our bodies. In fact, that's why he's going to resurrect them, right? because they are worthy of the sacrifice that God did for Jesus. And so when we hate our own flesh, in fact, the picture of, of it's not scriptural. It's not, it's not the gospel. In fact, um, when Jesus talks about the picture of the church that happens between in marriage, he talks about that no one has hated their own flesh and that we are to love our spouse and that husbands are to love their wives in the way that they love their own flesh. And so loving our own flesh, not in a selfish way, but in an innocent way. Okay. Innocence is the key word here, guys. See, kids run around without clothes on because they're innocent and shame has yet to cloak them in, in a way that causes them to be ashamed of their bodies. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't wear clothes, but I am saying that shame is not of God. Um, we have been taught all kinds of, of, of terrible things about sex. We don't talk about it, for example. And it's why we have so much perversion, even in the church, because we don't feel we, ha we don't have a, a godly paradigm of desire. There were many, many seasons in the church where sex was looked upon so poorly that it was only to be used for procreation. And it was, and if you enjoyed it, that was it, it, within the context of marriage, that was considered sinful. So we have a lot of work to do in redeeming this idea of pleasure and realizing that God is a God of pleasure, you know, and in any way that you look in creation and you see that there is something that got that that got that gives us pleasure there is an innocent way to relate to that that is not sinful right it is not sinful to enjoy food it is not sinful to enjoy sex right in in the context of marriage it is not sinful to have a glass of wine in moderation these things are not sinful the reason why we think all pleasure is sinful is because of this creeping idea into the early church and still is alive today of Gnosticism. And so I just want to start out today talking about this idea. And it's worth doing your own study 
on Gnosticism and what Gnostics believed and start to recognize that it is the flip side of legalism. It is a form of legalism that denies denies uh, the goodness that is that is displayed in God's creation, in God's redeemed creation. Okay, now I want to just switch gears just a little bit and we'll be talking about these concepts over the course of this podcast for sure. But I want to talk about the desires of our hearts. You know, a lot of times when you are when we are in church or we are listening to sermons on YouTube or we're listening to podcasts, you know, a lot of us do not have the discernment to recognize the way that the old covenant and the new covenant is getting mixed. We don't have the discernment to recognize this mixture. We haven't yet developed a, a gospel lens of union with Christ. And so what happens in a large percentage of the messages that we hear is that there is this mixture. There's this mixture of Gnosticism. There's this mixture of legalism in with the gospel. And one of the ways that that's commonly uh, done is because we will take scriptures from the Old Testament and we will apply them to ourselves like they are relevant and they are not relevant. The only way the Old Testament is relevant to us is the fact that it is a type and shadow of Christ. We are not living under the uh, the law of the old covenant. We are not um, we are not Jewish. You know, we are many even even if you are Jewish, you're not living under the Jewish ordinances and the Jewish laws as a new creation in Christ. And so we'll take scriptures specifically in the Psalms and we'll begin to think you know, like there's many of them, right? You know, David prayed, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, right? And we'll see in, in prayer meetings, people praying, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Or we'll, we'll, we'll read things from Jeremiah that says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And we don't even recognize that we are the very home of the Holy Spirit now. So, and the fact that we're the home of the Holy Spirit is not based upon our relationship with rules. It's not relation, not based upon our own self-righteousness, which is what it was based on in the Old Covenant, but it is based upon the righteousness of Christ and through our union with Jesus. So Jesus is not leaving us and coming back into us. No, the cross was a completed work. The sacrifice for the sins of humanity was accomplished. He died once for all, it says in Hebrews. So this is not a wishy-washy relationship with God. This is not where one day we're holy, one day we're not. That's based upon our behavior. That's based upon our relationship with the rules. It's based upon the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ, period. Jesus finished it. And so when we take those Old Testament scriptures and we apply them to ourselves, we have this mixture and the heart is not deceitful above all things who can know it no we have a new heart god has written his laws upon our heart and the law of the kingdom is love and we have a new heart and the truth is we need to learn to trust it we need to learn to trust the presence of god within us and the desires of our hearts are not evil i'm not saying that we can't have an evil desire out of our renewed minds, we can we can absolutely live out of an unrenewed mind and have all kinds of evil thoughts in our heads. But that does not define us. And what I'm talking about is renewing our minds, renewing our minds to the new creation, renewing our minds to the redemption that Jesus has accomplished for us so that we can actually live out of our new man. We can put the old man off 
and the alienation of that from God that exists in our minds. And we can renew our minds to the concept that we have been redeemed, that we are holy, that we are innocent, and that God lives in our hearts. He lives in our spirit. And that when we are in union with him, we can have desires that are ignited from the pleasure of God, from the pleasures at his right hand, which is where we are seated in Christ. You know, I ran across this scripture a while ago. It's out of uh, the mirror translation. It's in John 15. And we're going to be definitely jumping off on this over the course of this series. And I want to um, get, get here to it. Let me find it. It's John seven and eight. Okay, here's what it says. <clears throat> I ran across the scripture several months ago, and I actually ended up doing a conference that was, uh, this was kind of like the foundation scripture for that conference. And I want to read it to you because this brings the picture of desire into our relationship with God. <clears throat> All right, get my drink here. <clears throat> here's what it says. Verse seven, John 15, verse seven. It says, my words find voice in you. With your abiding in me and my words abiding in you, a conversation is inspired where you will request that which arises in your desire from our union and it shall come to pass for you. Let me read it again. Okay, it says, my words find voice in you. With your abiding in me and my words abiding in you, a conversation is inspired where you will request that which arises in your desire from our union and it shall come to pass for you. Let me keep reading. These union inspired desires bear the very fruit that endorses the father's glory. This is where true discipleship is born. Okay, this is such a powerful translation. Uh, and, and what it says here is that when we live in union with Jesus, there is a, a conversation that gets inspired. Why? Because God is a relational God. God desires intimacy with us, you guys. He desires for us to know him intimately and live out of this place of his desire. And when we have this conversation, we begin to hear God we begin to hear his words and his words begin to have voice in us. And from that conversation and from these words that he is speaking to us, desires are born. Desire begins to arise. Desire begins to be, uh, begins to flow out of our heart. And these desires that come to the surface, it says that they will come to pass for us that God is actually wanting to birth desire through our lives. He wants these union inspired desires to come to pass in our lives, that through our union with him, this is how we bear fruit. And fruit has always been the result of desire. When God said, be fruitful and multiply the earth, he was saying, have intimacy with Adam, have intimacy with Eve. You guys be intimate with one another and be fruitful and procreate and have your desire create offspring. But it's not, fruitfulness is just not about offspring. It's just not in the context of the bedroom. The bedroom is a picture of our intimate desire and fruitfulness with God. That's why marriage and procreation and the word 
uh, Greek word for knowing God, gnosko, which was a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse within the context of marriage. It's why these things are all intertwined in our relationship with God and our union with God. So God wants to lead us in union with him as we abide in him through our desires. And these desires that are birthed within our union with him, it says they will come to pass for you. In fact, in verse eight, it says that these very union inspired desires are the fruit that release. And it says here, endorse the father's glory that they endorse the nature of God. They endorse the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God, the love of God, the joy of God, the faithfulness of God, all of the attributes of God, his honor, his power come through the birth of our desires. And it says, this is where true discipleship happens. This is where it's born. And so if we are going to be true disciples of Jesus, we have to connect with our the desires that God is wanting to birth through our lives, through our abiding with him. You know, yesterday I was on um, our Emerge coaching call that happens on Mondays, and there was one of our emergers that was, you know, needing to make some life decisions. And because of the things that this particular student had experienced their entire, you know, over the course of their lives, they did not trust their heart. They did not trust their desires. There had been so much pain. It was like all they could see was pain. And they were completely disconnected from the desire that God has for them and the desire for them to be an endorsement of the father's nature of the endorsement that he is a provider, of the endorsement that he is a healer, of the endorsement that he is a redeemer, that he is a deliverer, that he is goodness personified, that he is perfection, that he is love, and he is unconditional love, he is agape love, he is other others blessing love. And because of that disconnection, this person couldn't even make decisions, could not connect with their heart about what, you know, I just ask a simple question. What is in your heart? What do you want? Jesus asked people over and over again, what can I do for you? What do you want? He asked that to the blind man. He has asked that question to me so, so, so many times. And in the process, I've had to learn how to have desires and, and learn that these were not, these were not wrong. I mean, very rarely when you talk to a believer, right? When you talk to someone who has, you know, knows Jesus, what is in the depths of their heart is not evil. It is something beautiful. We just don't give ourselves permission to believe it. We don't give permission to believe that God cares about horses and God cares about land and God cares about uh, the beauty of our, of our, our neighborhoods and our enjoyment. Right, he, he, that he cares about us being happy. Happy has been made wrong, <clears throat> you know, but a merry heart is like good medicine. And joy without happiness is not joy, you guys. It's, it's a false um, definition of joy. Joy is ecstatic, it's laughter, it's, it's how you feel on, on the day, you know, that your child is born. I mean, it is, it's this ecstatic, overwhelming feeling of happy and love and, and, and tears that are happy and laughter and tickles and all of these things that we have become disconnected from. And beloved, we have to give ourselves permission. What if desire is sacred? 
What if desire is the motivator of compassion and love? And what if us wanting to redeem um, the things that have been stolen, the things that have been lost, is the very desire of God? What if uh, living in safety, what if living surrounded by beauty is how God lives? <laughs> and he doesn't want anything less for us. What if heaven on earth is his desire, is his ultimate desire that he wants us to experience heaven now? Heaven is opulent. God is an extravagant God. He lavishes us. Grace is a perfect example of God's generosity. He, he's lavished us. He's a generous God. And, and, and when we wake up to this, we wake up to those desires. And those desires, beloved, are a frequency. They are the frequency of faith. They are the frequency of passion. They are the frequency of God's love. And that is the very frequency that speaks to creation, that speaks to the creation to partner with us, to recreate heaven on earth and annihilate the things that should no longer be here, to annihilate the curse, to annihilate barrenness, to annihilate poverty, to annihilate suffering, to annihilate the human condition of separation from God because Jesus has redeemed it. And so, beloved, desiring good things for your family, desiring good things for yourself, desiring good things for others is not selfish. It's godly. It's godly. Now, you know, I always feel like, you know, whenever we say these things, it's almost like there's a little, little, you know, accusation or a mind that has a big butt behind it, right? It's like, but, but Shalice, you've got to be careful with this desire thing. You don't want to be selfish. You don't want to be all of these things. But here's what I, you know, yesterday someone said like, well, you don't want to be prideful. You know, we were talking about it. And I said, listen, all of those attributes are annihilated through union with Jesus. You cannot be selfish in union with Jesus. You must separate and you must be living independently. You cannot be prideful in union with Jesus. In fact, it's prideful to live outside of union with Jesus. All of these attributes that people are afraid of becoming arise because of separation from God. But when you step into union with God and you realize that all of his promises are yes and amen, that if he freely gave us his son, why, why will he not freely give us all things? That Jesus is the lawful owner of creation. Jesus is the lawful owner of all things, it says in Hebrews 1 verse 3. And so there's nothing that doesn't already belong to us because we're joint heirs with Jesus. We already have the title deed to this planet. So why not, right? We don't want to be Gnostic. We don't want to be living out of this material realm, this deception that the material realm is evil, right? Yes, we operate in self-control. Yes, we operate out of the fruit of the spirit of love and patience and joy and kindness, but that's a given. That's a given that our desires are, 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 that's what they produce. That that's what our, our, our desires produce. And so we must, you guys, reconnect to our hearts. We must reconnect to the desires that God has placed in our hearts because it is intimate. That's an intimate place of our, of our hearts. I mean, there have been times 
when I have desired to see the glory of God so much that it was just, it was almost like painful. I've had a desire, I had a desire for children. You know, that was, that was, that was good. Children are the heritage of the Lord. That is not, that's not wrong. Now, granted, we are to use these, the, the pleasure that we get from material, material realm as our source. No, God is the source of our pleasures. Pleasures aren't our source. God is the source of our pleasures. And when we abide in him and when we stay connected to the vine, pleasure is the, the, the automatic release of the, the fragrance of our life. We live in the pleasure of God and we connect to the pleasure of God. We see the earth. We see other people through the lens of love and gratefulness and joy and overwhelm and wonder. We have wonder in our hearts because trees are wonderful. Human beings are wonderful. Chipmunks are wonderful. Seahorses are wonderful. Seashells are wonderful. Sand is glorious. Grass is, is, is a masterpiece. And we live in this place of awe and worship connected to our hearts, connected to creation with a mutual indwelling of Christ in us and us in Christ, recognizing that God's glory is filling creation, that Jesus is holding all things together, that he is the source of beauty, the source of delight, the source of desire. His name is the desire of the nations. Jesus's name, a name, capital D, is desire desire of the nations. It says that all nations will come to him and their desire will be fulfilled because he is the desire of the nations. Guys, desire is a holy word. It is it is an attribute. It is the name of Jesus. Jesus is desire. So we if we want to connect with Jesus, let's connect to the desire of God, the desire which is God. He is the God of desire and he wants to connect us with our desires through our union with him, he wants to show forth his glory through our desires, through our union with him. He wants to endorse his character, endorse his loving nature, his genius nature, his brilliant nature, his um, kind nature. I mean, it, it's creation is so beautiful, you guys. When you go out and you recognize that God thought these things up just for his pleasure, that all things were created just because he desired it and wanted pleasure from it, delight from it. And you'll begin to get an idea of how much he delights in us. You guys, he's not looking at us separated from himself. He's looking at us as one heart, one mind, one spirit, one body with him. And he wants to express desire through our lives. Our desires are, <clears throat> they're holy. They are clues to our purpose. They are clues to our anointing. They are clues to the problems that we are here to solve. And I can tell you guys, you know, that when we connect to our desire, we begin to have intimacy with God in a way that overwhelms us. It is, you want to talk about it being humbling. It's humbling to, to receive abundance from God. It is humbling to receive healing from God. It is humbling to receive, um, riches that are are indescribable in the pleasures of God you guys because what it does is it reveals God's goodness it and it's overwhelming it is it it, it brings us face to face with how much unbelief is actually in our hearts with how much separation from God we actually suffer from you know when Jesus um told Peter they had toiled all night they'd caught nothing and Jesus said let down your nets for a, a great catch 
And those fish came into the boat. The, the, the disciples were faced with this abundance of fish after they worked so hard to get it and didn't get anything. And then just with one command of Jesus, just all this abundance showed up in their boats. Peter was struck with awe and in some it says seized with fear. He said, away from me because I'm a sinful man. You guys, this is a direct contradiction. It is a direct confrontation with our sin consciousness. The goodness of God is a confrontation with our self-righteousness and our belief, our, our low self-esteem and our, our faith in our separation from God. And if we want to if we want to experience the glory of God, we must enter into union and we must get into the place where we can receive the desires of our heart without feeling selfish, without feeling greedy, which are all attributes of people that are separate. So we're going to dive deeper and deeper into this topic. I'm super excited to go deep with you guys. We're going to unpack more about Gnosticism. We're going to unpack more about, you know, feeling like that the material realm is evil and how that doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve our witness in the world. It doesn't make the gospel attractive. It doesn't make people run to church. It makes people run from church. And we're going to try to do some work on that in our own lives so that we can actually display the glory of God and the goodness of God and the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and be an example, be an endorsement of who God is. You know, I told God years ago, God, you can use me. You can use me to be an example of your nature, to be an example of your goodness, Lord. And I'll tell you, it makes religious people mad. It makes people mad because I won't earn anything. It makes people mad because I don't deserve this stuff. But you know what? Jesus does. And I live in union with him. Jesus won it all. He wears the victor's crown. And because of him, he placed it on our heads. He is the head of our body. We are the body. He wears the victor's crown and we are crowned. We are crowned with glory, crowned with goodness, crowned with his perfection. And beloved, we need to walk in it boldly. We need to walk in it for the sake of those that don't know him, for the sake of those that are still living in darkness, that don't know that they've been reconciled, that don't know that our daddy is generous and good and beautiful and kind, and that all repentance always happens out of his kindness, out of his generosity, that we don't have to browbeat people. We don't have to to, to try to make them holy apart from Christ. We don't have to, to try to make everybody good before they even know what goodness actually is and they haven't tasted it yet. They haven't seen it yet. They haven't experienced it because it's God. So desire is holy, desires of God, and he desires for us to have the fulfillment of our desires. It says a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. It says that in Proverbs. It says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so desires fulfilled is the fruit. It's the fruit of the kingdom. It's the fruit of union. It is the fruit of heaven on earth. And beloved, it's time for us to connect with them, to give ourselves permission, to let God overwhelm us with his holy desire, with his desire for for love and goodness and kindness and the redemption that Jesus purchased with his own blood to be manifest in this realm. So God bless you guys. Enjoy your life. It's an abundant life in Christ and don't settle. Don't settle for anything that's not in heaven. Desire and ask and watch God. God manifest himself through your desires to, to endorse who he actually is. All right, you guys, we'll see you soon. God bless. Thanks for listening to Shalise's podcast. This recording is, in part, made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit shalise.com, where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. 
You can also find a link there to download Shalisa's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose He created you for, then visit us at Shalise.com and watch Shalise's free training where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.